When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It has been another action-packed week of Arsenal news, stories, events, happenings and goings on. Oh yeah. Well, it hasn't really because, well, have we signed any players? Have we sold any players? So, you know, there you go. In fairness, in fairness, it is still only mid-June. It's still good. It's still good. But, you know, time is ticking and we have got a lot to do in a relatively short period of time. It's only two months before the new season begins. It's just over three weeks until pre-season begins. I know. That's what this extended end of the season has done. It's brought everything all closer together. That's something I'm going to be talking about with uh, my guest now in a few minutes' time. Philippe Claire will be with me to talk about uh, FIFA and UEFA and the game of football itself and the, the impact that vested interests are having on the decisions that are governing the game and shaping the future of the game. That's uh, all to come. And we do, of course, talk Arsenal as well about uh, recruitment and transfers and Unai Emery and Stan Kroenke and lots of other stuff besides. As ever, it's uh, an interesting, fascinating, in-depth conversation with Philippe, and that is the bulk of our show today, because really there isn't a great deal else going on. There is, of course, the Premier League fixtures. They came out. We start our Premier League campaign for 2019-20 against Newcastle away from home. Our first home game is Burnley followed by a trip to Anfield on the 24th of August and on the 31st of August, we've got Tottenham Hotspur at home. So it's not what you would call an easy start to the season. And then when I look at the rest of the fixtures from September to May, I look at them and I think, wow, they're they're all pretty tough games. Yep, that's a tough game. That's a tough game. That's a tough game. That's a difficult game that one's yeah tricky that could be uh, that could be a bit of a banana skin there i think it is because of um where we are and what we are right at this moment in time um because we have so many concerns about the team about the way that the team needs to be rebuilt about the work that needs to be done in the transfer market so right now it's all looking quite difficult. It might look a little less difficult at the start of the season when we have signed some players. This is a little gap there for you to uh, insert your own canned laughter. Um, no, we will, of course. We will sign some players. It depends what kind of players that we sign. How good are they going to be? Are they the right players? Will those players allow us to play football better than we did last season, i.e. defend better and possibly attack better and maybe midfield a bit better? That would be good. Our goalkeeper, he was quite good, so maybe we don't need to improve there. But um, yeah, at the moment, 
It's all up in the air and it all feels a little bit uh, unstable. And we don't quite know enough about the people who are doing the work this summer to have any faith in them. But I suppose the flip side of that is that we possibly, perhaps, maybe have to give them a little bit of time to show us what they can do. Although when you read that Dennis Suarez arrived at Arsenal completely unfit and even after two weeks was not even 50% fit, you have to question some of the decision-making and, and why we did that particular deal. Um, I know it's not an outlier completely in the world of Arsenal because we did, of course, sign Kim Shellstrom with a broken back and we knew he had a broken back and we went and we signed him anyway. But I'm not necessarily sure that's a, that's a tradition that you should maintain. That might just be the kind of thing you don't particularly want to do. So, look, I'm going to talk to Philippe a bit about all that as well. The other story that caught my eye this week from an Arsenal point of view was the fact that one of our academy coaches was banned for three games and fined £400 for uh, abusing a referee after a game. He called the referee a little prick after the referee refused to shake his hand because he had, throughout the course of the game, been shouting abuse and shouting things and and getting on the referee's case. The kicker here is that the game was an under-9s match between Reading and Arsenal, under-9s, and the referee was a teenage girl. I mean, really? I know football can be a bit full-on and there's pressure and a competitive, pressurised environment is is good. Uh, young players have to get used to that. And we've all seen the, the parents, the sideline coaches, you know, who take it all way too seriously. But fucking hell, this is under, nine, under nines. And this was a, a teenage girl who was reduced to tears by this grown man bellowing at her from the sidelines. Arsenal say they don't condone any kind of behavior like that, but the guy is uh, no longer the head coach of the under-9s. Apparently, he's got more general coaching duties. But, you know, someone needs to have a word. That guy could well have some issues uh, with his anger. Because if that's the way you behave, when you have a responsibility and you're representing Arsenal, regardless of what age level it is, if that's the way you behave, someone needs to have a a quiet word with you or, you know, a boot in your arse and put you straight out the door. Right, let's get on with the show. And as ever, when Philippe is here, we're in store for some excellent, fascinating football chat. And I'm sure today will be no different. Philippe, hello. Thank you very much. I hope I live up to this. As Well, I have no doubts whatsoever. I'm not trying to heap mm. any pressure on you or, or anything like that. We are going to talk about Arsenal. No, but really, I- no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're obviously going to talk about Arsenal, but we were due to talk last week. Um, and something came up, and the something that came up was the the arrest of the head of the um, <laughs> Confederation of African Football. And you were at mm-hmm. the FIFA uh, annual congress uh, last week, and I have to say, I'm I'm curious about what your reaction was when Gianni Infantino, the man who was reelected as the the head of FIFA unopposed, he spoke about how uh, FIFA had been transformed from being toxic almost criminal to being what it should be, an organization that develops football. Uh, The governing body, FIFA, is now synonymous with credibility, trust, integrity, equality, and human rights. Can I ask how loud (laughs) the laugh was in the room when he said that? (laughs) 
Um, in the gallery, yes, which is where the, the journalists were. Apart from them, there were three guys sit, sat next to me who actually applauded him. Uh, I think they had been planted. There was some kind of clack, you know. Um, in fairness, the, uh, the, the representatives of the 200-plus uh, federations who were at and in Paris for the Congress didn't really give him the hero's welcome uh, that you might expect uh, because the whole thing uh, was redolent of uh, uh, a ceremony either in Moscow 1937 or Pyongyang 2019. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'll leave you the choice between Stalin and Kim Jong-il. Uh, <laughs> but, I, you know, we were wondering if the applause would die down after 30 seconds, five minutes, or as the case was with Stalin, something 11 minutes, because nobody wanted to be the person who stopped clapping, for obvious reason. <laughs> In this particular case, the applause was uh, polite, but uh, not um, fervor was missing, I would say. Sure. And we were just going through the motions. And to be honest, it was it was not the most edifying of spectacles. The whole charade of uh, Infantino leaving the room for the election when everybody know, knew he was the only candidate, when uh, it had been put to the Congress that they would change the statutes, statutes there and then to allow. Uh, an election by acclamation without a vote, which is honestly something that made me feel sick in my stomach. Mm. Um, and the very idea that people would be able to countenance that shows that, if anything, FIFA has regressed compared to what it was under Josef Blatter. Sure, and that's a and low bar. That's a very low th bar. That's, that's pretty. But I think, you know, what happened under Blatter after the, the scandal of the um, the attribution of uh, the um, uh, World Cup to Qatar in particular, um, there was a genuine desire to reform within the organization. And anyway, they didn't have any choice because the uh, Les Flics uh, were <laughs> knocking on everybody's door quite quickly. And mm. the intervention of um, the police, uh, various authorities and the media, the extraordinary pressure of the media, as well as a genuine um, will to reform from within some quarters of the uh, of the uh, federation made that we had and I wouldn't say a transparent FIFA, but we had a FIFA on um, on the right way, on the right path for about two three years, mm. and then it went pear shaped, and uh, and then there was the election uh, in Fantino one and. As I never tire from reminding everybody, the fir one of the first things he did when he arrived um, at the head of FIFA was to disband uh, the anti-racism anti task force by saying that its job was done. <laughs> uh, that he's also the man who uh, sacked absolutely almost every single person who had been here before him and who had a modicum of independence, particularly in the areas of compliance, uh, ethics, uh, both investigation and uh, jurisdiction and, and, and so on. Mm. Um, and, and he basically has created a, a monster, which is in his image. He's obviously a very clever man, a very intelligent man. Uh, he's not somebody whom you could attack in the same way that you could attack the old guard, who were all quite you know, colorful figure. You think of Chuck Blazer with his parrot on his mobility scooter in, 
in Central Park. You think of Jack <laughs> Warner, you think even of Jeffrey Webb in his luxurious palatial home. And you could carry on like that. I mean, it was such a gallery of rogues. Uh, these guys are more technocrats and, and he's a lawyer. And that, that's all there is to it. Yeah, but, that's almost a bit more sinister, isn't it? Because a guy going around more, yeah. on, a, on a mobility scooter with a parrot on his shoulder, at least there's something overt about that. There's something overt about a guy who's living in luxury and, and what have you. But, you know, behind the scenes to disband, you know, something as, as fundamental as the task force against racism and to do away with people uh, who might um, provide some modicum of accountability and, and, and everything else, yeah. that's, that's far more sinister. And I think what was quite interesting is as he's talking about this, as we were due to talk last week, a big story broke, and you've just published something on the BBC this morning about how uh, President Ahmad, um, who's the head of the Confederation of African Football, has been arrested. Um, so while Infantino is talking about how it's no longer associated with all these terrible things that we uh, associate with FIFA, we have this going on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I must immediately um, add that he was taken for questioning uh, and then released without charge, um, which anyway was probably the only thing that the French authorities could do at this particular stage anyway. Mm -hmm. But he was he was released without charge. And it's um, I, I won't go into details of why he was um, taken into questioning by French police. Go to the BBC website and have a look at my story, which I wrote with uh, Pierce Edwards and Paul Udegaard um, and and. and and expect more in the days to come. Yeah, um, we'll put a link to it, that story in the in the show notes for kind. this episode. But so it, if anyone's it, looking for it, it was for quite it, extraordinary find. because the, the, after the con after the congress, I went to the Hyatt Regency, which is where all the African delegates were staying, and the atmosphere was absolutely electric. People knew. I mean, to be honest, within the microcosm. Uh, we had an idea that something was about to happen, but nobody had seen it uh, happening like that as dramatically as, as it was. So we have, and I wouldn't, and you know, by the way, President Ahmad is a very, is a very close ally of Jenny Infantino. Hmm. Uh, President Ahmad supported Jenny Infantino in his campaign and President Infantino supported Ahmad and not half, believe me, uh, in his bid to become CAF president. So they're linked. Um, mm. And it will be interesting to see how it plays out. If, you know, uh, there are loads of rumors circulating, which I really can't comment, which is really, I'm biting my tongue because I've been working on this for nine months, um, Andrew. Mm. So, but, you know, you've got to be careful. But of in course. any case, no, um, you know, we're, we're not out of the woods. But I would say that in, in a way, if there are, and I'm not talking about Ahmad specifically here, still um, um, suggestions of... Uh, misdemeanors, corruption, whatever you want to call it, uh, in various parts of, of FIFA. For me, that's not the most serious uh, part of it. What we've only got to look at is the eventual outcome. If you've got a couple of rotten apples in as big a basket as this one and where is so much money to be fished out, that's not very much a surprise uh, to me. Uh, mm. On the other hand, when you're talking about literally transforming the whole of the game, not for the usual kind of crooks and criminals – even though, uh, but for um, streaming platforms, uh, nation states which want to uh, polish their image, uh, money launderers on huge scales and the rest of it. When you're thinking about transforming the sporting calendar to an extent that it will be unrecognizable, 
uh, and then then you will open yourself to every single pressure that you can think of. And there was an extraordinary moment when when Infantino defended, you know, the famous twenty five billion dollar deal deal mm. that FIFA, you know, which is basically all about the revamping of the Club World Cup, which is an which is an insane, uh, which is about all these new competitions and the World Nations League and all these things. And at the end of it, what is the reason for that? Is it sporting? Of course not. It's 25 billion. And uh, Tariq Panjab, the New York Times, um, suggested quite strongly that this money was actually coming via a Japanese bank, but from Saudi interests. So this I find far more interesting in a way, and far more sinister. And of course, what Infantino said, they said, oh no, of course not, we've just done things as we always do them, you know, we put things for tender, we use uh, uh, agencies, we've always done that, would you imagine that I would be crazy enough to sell the rights to FIFA competitions? And I was thinking, well, of course you would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you would find yeah, a way. Of course. Um, it might not, you might, might not look like this on the paper, but it, that's exactly what you would do, because if you take 25 billion from whoever it is, um, you're obviously going to be submitted to a certain pressure, shall I say, to do what these people want you to do. And for example, at the moment, believe it or not, and I, I hope it's just a crazy rumor that's that's doing the rounds, uh, there is talk about um, uh, the uh, use of uh, VAR. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this is true, guys. Okay, don't, you know, we started many rumors here. And with success, Andrew. Yeah, munchy, munchy, munchy. Munchy, munchy, munchy. But uh, the fact of using uh, VAR, uh, refer uh, referrals to VARs as a means to put more advertising during the game. Well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? VAR, sponsored by Omega Watches, sponsored by Specsavers, sponsored by whoever it might be. I mean... Exactly. Yeah, maybe and, it's uh, not maybe it's not the exact reason that they want to implement it, but it's certainly something else that can be exploited for the commercial side of the game. Absolutely. And as well, the old ideas of having, uh, instead of having two half times, to have three third times or four oh. quarters... I know. I hear your sigh, mm. and and uh, but these and because you think well, anything is possible because the calendar has basically been ripped. You know the 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 changes which had brought, been brought to it had been incremental, uh, as in, for example, what Leonard Johansson did with the Champions League. It was incremental. It was you know it took its time to mm. get where we are now, where we actually think we probably have got you know about. I mean, apart from the money is shared, which should be far more uh, equal than fair, it's actually a great competition. And so, yeah. yeah. But this is different. This is taking the book, tearing it, asking people who've got loads of money, what would you like? And doing it. Do, do, you, do you feel like that is part of a... I mean, I don't want to delve into the realms of conspiracies here or anything like that, but there are vested interests who look at football and, you know, who certainly have looked at football over the last 20, 30 years and seen an industry which is underdeveloped and ripe for exploitation. And we've seen that. We can all see it in how football is these days because of the the advent of the Premier League and broadcasting revenues and uh, mm -hmm. the globalization of the Premier League but also the sport itself and and some people might say well we're at a we're at a saturation point already there's not much more that anybody can do no but it feels to me like this 
uh, as you talked about, a lot of these changes were incremental and, and many of them were beneficial for fans because we all got to see more football. We could watch more football. It was on TV and now we can stream it and all those things. And it, it has created a global football community of Arsenal fans, United fans, Liverpool fans. We can, you know, we can all communicate and the advent yeah. of the internet has played into this. But, you know, this week, Philippe, it's the middle of June and they're still playing European uh, Championship qualifiers. Yeah. Um, and champion- we'll soon start the uh, Champions League qualifiers as well. Exactly. So And, and more- we had as well, it's, 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 sorry to interrupt you, no. Andrew, but the thing which was very, very uh, disappointing, uh, the Nations League was fantastic when it went on during the qualifiers. I really, really enjoyed that. And I completely forgot about the friendlies and so forth. Uh, the final tournament was a huge disappointment, yeah. not in the quality of the football, but nobody seemed to care at all about it. And in fairness, those European qualifiers, I mean, I know I was working on my piece, you know, my investigation, and they completely passed me by. I, yeah. I didn't even know they were happening. Well, I'm ashamed to say. Well, I, I mean, thought, it, oh my God, it, yes. it, does it feel to you like football is being squeezed into something that won't operate on a season by season basis, but on something of an annual basis, a calendar year, because we are going to have this interruption for the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. That is going to mean uh, domestic seasons have a great big gap in them. And uh, I, I, you know, personally, I cannot see how that is anything other than completely damaging to the game in England and across Europe. uh, And the, the reasons why the World Cup has gone there, that's a completely different debate. But it feels like, you know, even with the, the prominence of preseason, uh, uh, tournaments and competitions and tours these days that a sort of legitimacy is being lended to or lent to those, which, um, comes from people perhaps who have a vested interest in the overall, um, in, in football becoming more of a year round thing. So the gap that we yeah. get or the break that we all kind of, you know, enjoyed from football during the summer will no longer be part of, of the, the process or part of, uh, the calendar because the demand is there the people will exploit the demand and what happens is we'll just get football staggered across 12 months Mm -hmm. of the year. Yeah. And uh, basically follow the money. And where is the money coming from? It's coming from uh, China, it's coming from the Gulf, and it's coming from the States. So, and the people who've got the money are the people who will finally decide. And I'm very interested to see what's going to happen for 2026, for example, which is, of course, uh, Mm. USA, Canada, Mexico. And um, and then we've got 2030, where the rules are not quite. We don't we don't know where the World Cup is going to go there because everything, of course, is you know locked locked into the World Cup, um, mm. which is you know, generates more money than any other thing. Um, and um, we we still don't know, for example, if China will be uh, able to present its candid- candidacy. Um, uh, in which case. If if that's allowed, um, well, we can already prepare our our passports mm. if we want to go. I'm not sure I want to go, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. The, it's the it's the model. It's the NBA 
Ization or the NFL Ization, and it might be that uh, we football fans uh, find ourselves in a situation that many people find themselves in in American sports, which is oh, sod it with uh, the big leagues. I'm interested in my university. I'm interested in my local minor league and so forth. And I meet more and more people who honestly are not can't be bothered about the uh, the bigger picture or the the big things. If it goes that down that way, I mean, personally, I know I wouldn't. I don't know. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be that interested either. It would certainly taint my my the experience, you know. Mm. Um, and maybe getting older and a bit more cynical plays a part in that. But I also think there are fundamentals about football and the game of football that the people who run FIFA and the people who run UEFA, their first job is to protect those things. And I feel, and I'm, I'm. But to them, to them, they're not things which must be protected. They're no, assets I, which I, must be sold. I, I get that. I get that. But that this is where the, this is where I've, I have a problem with it because we all fall in love with the game, or we, you know, we all have our own experience, and we've all grown up in different eras, and we've all grown up in in football being presented to us in different ways. But ultimately, what the the job of a games governing body or a sports governing body is is to protect the well-being of the sport and the people who play that sport and the people who enjoy that sport, not to create even more wealth for the already obscenely wealthy. And yep. it's somehow, this has become the priority for for FIFA and uh, for UEFA and even for the Premier League, um, that the decisions that they make more and more and more. And look, we've experienced it even this this season, haven't we, with Arsenal and Baku and uh, Mkhitaryan yeah. and all those kind of things where fans, I, mean, I think we're used to fans being an afterthought, an afterthought, but even clubs and players have become an afterthought in the decision-making yeah. process because they, they're secondary. They're secondary to what, what, what they think really matters, which is generating revenue and generating wealth. Which is why one of the few pockets of resistance is coming from the players, you know, the players' organization, uh, because they simply don't want. I mean, with this crazy calendar that that Jenny and Infantino, but also uh, Jeffering at UEFA, because there's a kind of a um, uh, tug of war between the two, and tug of love at times, but especially tug of war. Um, it, some players would have to play literally every 72 hours over a period of several months, which is just insane. It can't mm. be. You can't do that. You, okay, you, you want them to get injured? They will get injured. Don't worry about that. Um, and when you think, you know, we're talking about a 24-club World Cup and uh, nobody knows who's going to be in there and when you're going to play it, well, you've got a vague idea of when you're going to play it. It's true because the next two are in Qatar, so... There you go. Um, and But after the reform, we don't know exactly at the moment what's going to happen. And But I, I think whichever way the, uh, uh, the the coins which have been thrown in the air fall is going to be bad for us. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I know it. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be the uh, buttered toast theory all over <laughs> again. It always falls on the wrong side. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
Um, and um, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of money which is at stake is, is so is such. And as well, you know, we've got, had a complete transformation of the people who are now investing into the game. Um, and the fact that nation states are doing it is for me the most um, uh, worrying of them all. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty bad to have people coming from companies that perhaps are not as transparent as you would like to get, who get, which get involved in football. It's not particularly new either, but to see nation states get into it and, and actually play a major role. It's not just like, oh, we're going to have three years in this club and then bugger off. No, yeah, and, we're in there to, to, to own it. Yes, and do, I mean, do you think, uh, I know we're again, we're speculating here, but when we talk about those kind of club owners, the, this idea perhaps that people have that their only desire is to present themselves in this um, sanitized PR driven yeah. way and to make their club the most successful club in the world. I mean, that to me seems a little bit simplistic. It feels like they have bigger fish to fry in terms of the way they want to influence the game itself mm -hmm. and not just the clubs that they own. Indeed. And which is why uh, you had all the kerfuffle. Uh, around the um, expansion of the uh, 2022 World Cup in Qatar to 48 countries. This was very much driven by um, countries like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates via Gianni Infantino and a representation by Conmebol, um, the South American Confederation. This is the way it works in FIFA. It's mm. incomprehensible, but that's the way it works. And uh, it was just part of the current war because there is a war at the moment going on there. It's a war which is not fought uh, with tanks and, and jet planes, thankfully, not yet anyway. But it's a diplomatic war. It's a blockade. It's, um, and, and football is very much a, a weapon to be used to humiliate the Qataris, which was the objective of the Saudis and the Emiratis. And it hasn't been possible to do so. But that's what football has become. And um, it's become, and it's just not—it's not just one example of it. I think that you—you'll be able to see examples, similar examples of not—not not, not perhaps to the same extent elsewhere, not just in the Gulf. And um, and also, uh, the, the, this war is fought, so to speak, by proxy, via the clubs which those countries uh, have bought yeah. and will buy, because. I mean, every day almost, I mean, I know there are some crazy theories going around about we're going to be bought by this, we're going to be bought by that. But they're, they're looking for clubs. They're looking for clubs to buy. I mean, Manchester City, it's not just Manchester City. Uh, it's also, they've got a club in Uruguay, they've got a club in Australia, they've got a club in Spain, they've got a club in the US and so on. Australia too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so you, you, and, and, and it's going to be the same with, um, with other owners of this type. Uh, the Qataris, you know, they've also got Casa Open in Belgium. Um, and, and we could carry on like that. Yeah. So, and, and it's, it's, it's a real danger. Um, and, and in a way, what, what we do when we open the door to investments as, as huge as the ones that Infantino was mentioning, is that we basically are saying to these people, well, why don't you do exactly what you want to do as long as you give us the money? Yeah. Hmm. 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 Well, look, I, this is a discussion that could go on and on, and I think it's Absolutely. one that's going to to be prevalent throughout um, 
the the football world uh, in the months and years to come. But for today, we'll we'll leave it there with that because I do want to talk to you about Arsenal. <laughs> so from one yes. one depressing topic, <laughs> we, we, we'll move to another one. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I know you have been tied up with uh, your investigation and, and the piece that you've written for the BBC. And I don't know how much time you've had to consider the state of play at Arsenal this I summer. I too much time yeah. to do Yes. Yeah. How do, you, how do you view the work that we have to do or the quantity of work that we as a club have to do between now, the hmm. 14th of June, um, this is the broadcast day, we're talking on the 13th of June, but we're mid-June and the Premier League starts in just over or just under two months' time. We've seen the fixtures. Arsenal have got Newcastle uh, on the opening yep. day and a couple of very early tricky fixtures against Liverpool and Tottenham in there as well. Uh, you know, there is a lot to do in a very short space of time. How are you viewing our ability to get what needs to be done, done? Well, I think the first quest- the first way you phrased the question was, uh, what do we do? And for me, the first question is, who are we? And mm. I'm not so sure about who this we is. That's a strange sentence. I know what you mean. Like By we, I mean, of course, Arsenal, the royal we, the which includes... command. Yeah, who no. decides what. Sure. Um, this vacuum there's been. Uh, the fact that... Um, you know, after the Europa League final, I think we were all, we were not even disappointed. We were kind of a state of um, numbness. Mm. I don't know. Speak for myself here and my friends. But um, it's difficult to see exactly how we can address the immediate problems, which are basically the squad. The main problem is the squad. Um, but we do, when I say the main problem is the squad, the main problem is the fact that we don't have the money to change much in that squad. For a simple reason is that the turnover of the club is decreasing um, from season to season. And we went from 422 million to 388. We're going down the list of um, the, the sort of rich list of Deloitte's. And it's not a question of, of, of uh, you know, cocking a snook at the neighbors and say, we're richer than you are. It's a question that money talks and that um, when you hear about a war chest, so to speak, of 40 million pounds net, that's absolutely bugger all. 
that is nothing. Sure. So um, we know then, and also I, I have been a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried by listening to what some of the, our players are saying. You know, they're with the national teams, or were with the national teams, or will be with the national teams. In the case of those going to the uh, Afcon and Copa America, you've probably seen what um, Lucas Torreira was quoted as saying. Mm. I didn't really like that, even if I understood it. You have heard the noises made by the Aubameyang camp. You've heard the noises made by Alexandre Lacazette. And you think, oh, God, we could do without that. And um, it's not nice. It's not good. And you, we still don't see uh, how we're going to sort out the Ozil situation. That's, um, yeah, that's... That's a big problem. It's a huge problem because it's we're talking about a lot of money and, and, and also the effect it has on the squad, the team and the club as a whole. Uh, and, and, you know, there are, people have been talking about some targets and we'll come to that in, in a minute and been linked with some kind of targets, some of which, you know, actually I think which would be decent buys, but perhaps not for 2019, 2020. Yes. Um, I, 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 Andrew, I don't see a, a strategy in place I might be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And I don't see means in place unless some, shall we say, rather left field choices are made in terms of perhaps disposing with personnel. Do you mean had, squad personnel? Or? Something, well, I'm, I'm going to put it to you. A very good friend of mine, I'm a season ticket holder for decades, said, okay, don't, don't kill me, but maybe the only way we can if, generate some money is by selling players, in which case we should be selling Aubameyang. Wow, it 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 is a it is a common debate uh, at the moment on Twitter. It's a question myself and James get asked on the Arscast Extra all the time. Really? Should okay. should we Let's sell, go. you know, one of our key assets in order to to rebuild? And you know, when when you step back from it objectively, you can look and say, well, maybe that is a way, and maybe that's how we have to do it. The the question that I have, certainly the one that that sets alarm bells ringing in my head, is that. Okay, maybe selling Aubameyang to China, and let's say you get seventy million pounds for him um, to you add get more than that. Yeah, you okay, get more than that. okay. Well, let's even speculate and say we get eighty okay, million right, pounds, yes. and we can add that to our to our whopping forty million pound budget that we have <laughs> anyway, right? Um, the, the the thing that worries me more than anything is the who's fucking spending that money. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, do you trust them to spend 120 million more than you trust them to spend 40 million? I mean, I was thinking about this this morning and, and you know, some of the decisions that are being made uh, at this football club, I wonder if they are being made for really the right reasons in that in that, you know, as we spoke about with FIFA and UEFA, surely the decisions you make should be for the overall benefit of your football club. Even if it's a little bit yeah. more expensive, the right decision is the right decision. And I think about Sven Mislintat leaving the club and as yet not officially replaced. That's a head of recruitment that went in February. Everyone knew he was going in January and the club probably knew that before. We have yep. Francis Cajigao, who was our scout in Spain under uh, the previous scouting um, setup, which um, as I'm sure you know, and I've spoken about on this podcast and on the website is or has been 
dysfunctional is a good way of putting it, but a shambles at other times might be a, a way of putting it too. So we have a guy who's being put in place as the, the ostensible head of recruitment, who's part of a, a, a previous setup that has has not worked and we needed to go in a different direction. And it feels to me like that decision is being made because he is the most, if we want to put it diplomatically, the most cost-effective replacement, <laughs> right? Rather than the best guy for the job. I mean, this is a, a Philippe football club that is advertising for a scout in Italy on Twitter. That, that, yeah. that, I mean, what the fuck is that? What is that? Know. You know, it's so even if you sell Aubameyang and you put it in an ideal situation where you go, we will use that money to reinvest and we can buy eight. 12 million pound players from Ligue 2 because they're all players of great potential. I don't I don't have any faith or or certainly none of us none of us have any um evidence that the people who are making the decisions at this football club on an operational basis, on a squad building basis, on a, a background basis, the the technical structure of the club, we've no evidence whatsoever that they're any good at doing any of those things. So that's where my worry about selling Aubameyang comes in. Okay, well, that's a, that's a very powerful argument, and um, and I'll remember it. I remember every <laughs> word of it, and I, I'll say that to my friend when I meet him next, which is tomorrow. I'll explain to him the the truth uh, of the matter. <laughs> uh, the fact is, if you look uh, in the uh, at the top of of the club, I think Salier he is probably the only person whom you could quantify as a genuine football person, somebody who's got great wealth of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly has done, you know, very good job in his previous um, previous capacity at Barcelona. Um, but um, yes, I'm 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 with you, and I'm I'm worried as well. Uh, I'm looking over my shoulder because I fe- I feel that there are clubs which are just behind Arsenal at the moment, uh, which have got a far better setup mm. and uh, perhaps more ambition as well, sporting ambition which goes with um, um, sometimes spending more money. Now, the thing I have to say, by the way, is that I um, I don't quite understand why this war chest is £40 million. I must say I don't understand it. And the, 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 this this figure has been, you know, put... Uh, put put out and everywhere and nobody at the club is this is actually saying oh no no it's completely untrue as they used to do you remember in the good old days no 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 Arsene has got all the money he wants yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody has gone down that that line uh, that way so far keeping our cards close to our chest perhaps if you were if you were being uh, you know we don't want to show the world how much we've really got but I mean I think it's based on accounting figures the Arsenal Supporters Trust this week have done a very deep dive into the mm-hmm. into the finances and the loss that we are projected to make and on top of you know the money that we have spent I mean I think one of the things that but 40 million quid I mean yeah. let's, let's, let's get into a bit of detail let's say okay I've got 40 million I'm going to pay and people think, oh, it means I can pay um, 40 million for a player. No, 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 no. Let's no. say you buy, um, I don't know, a player who costs 40 million. He's going to the, the, uh, the way it's going to be accounted is that the way it's sold is going to be accounted over the four or five seasons of yeah. the of the club. Okay? Yeah. yeah. So when we say 40 million, mm, already you think, well, okay, maybe, maybe not. Uh, net in total, possibly. But uh, we should be looking at far more than that. I mean, if th- this is why, for example, Everton were able to go on this spending spree uh, last summer. Remember, when mm. they spent 
a lot of money. So I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled by that. And But the problem is that everything I hear so, uh, seems to confirm that indeed this is the figure. That's, that's what actually baffles me. This, we are in a situation at the moment where we won't be part of, we won't be in the Champions League again. And um, you're thinking, and maybe again mm. and again. Mm-hmm. It's a very slippery slope. Um, the turnover is going down. Uh, the wages bill at the moment is pretty stable, which means it's really hurting more and more and more. Um, and we've got, uh, in, and when you look at the season we've had, you actually, f- I find it very difficult to qualify it. I, I talk in the Premier League. We had this extraordinary series of um, of results um, at the beginning uh, of the season when, you know, all these, undefe- these series of undefeated games some of which were a little bit on the lucky side, shall mm-hmm. we say. But, you know, we carried on. And you thought this is going to be a springboard. And it was not a springboard. We actually fell from the springboard and realized the pool was empty, and, um, which is what happened at the end of the season. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing here a, the, the dynamics are, are, are really worrying to me, the, so- the sporting dynamics, but also the fact that behind I can see that there are clubs and the clubs are Everton, the clubs are, are Leicester, <laughs> the clubs are Wolves, obviously, which have got a bit of money to spend and seemingly a very different dynamic, dynamic and momentum to ours. Mm. So, I mean, is your is your concern here when you talk about those things and you talk about the budget and you talk about our mm. in, our income, our our turnover decreasing, our continued? Yep. Um, we're now, I guess, established in many ways as a Europa League club rather than being a Champions League club as we were for yep. for such a long time under Arsene Wenger. Um, all of these worries, are you then questioning why it is that someone who owns a football club on this trajectory would not do more to halt the direction in which it's going? That's my hope, is that there will be a realisation by the Kronker family that something needs to be done um, to stop um, what is a, a slow, I wouldn't call it, I mean, decline. I mean, we are basically with this stagnation. And stagnation is simply not good enough when everybody's looking to go forward. All the people around you are looking to go forward. So I, I would hope so that they will realize that actually uh, this is a wonderful asset. It's worth an awful lot of money. Uh, we want, to, we wouldn't mind doing a bit more money with it. So to do that, we need to invest first. And, you know, why not? They might might see the light. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh, I, I, I wouldn't hold my breath. Um, and no. I, I am genuinely worried because I, I'm at the moment – I think we're we're in in this kind of uh, unpleasant situation when something perhaps a bit more spectacular than recruiting a Lorient uh, fullback is required. Sure. And I'm not going to. Uh, I don't think we're going to get much more than a, a Lorient or a Saint-Étienne uh, fullback or attacking player. Or maybe one guy coming from, I mean, people have been talking about Carrasco. Um, yeah, I've got my doubts about him, to be honest. Yeah. And um, Well, but, I mean, it's hard to get particularly enthused about any of the uh, the players 
Uh, well, not any, but but some of the players that we have been linked with during the summer have been mm. have been fairly underwhelming. Um, and, and the other yep. thing, I suppose, as well, is this: when we we heard from Vinay and we heard from Raúl about how important the academy was and how it's vital that we create a pathway to first team football for these young players, we can all yeah. see that that's a great idea. And if you've got players of enough quality and potential to come through to the first team, then brilliant. But if you're using your academy as a way to make up the numbers or to simply uh, avoid the reality of how you need to operate in the transfer market, then that's not a positive development, is it? No. And uh, at the moment, amongst the youngsters, I mean, who are we thinking? Willock? Nelson? Smithrow? Saka? Okay. So there well, are there are maybe I three or tiny, four. I feel a tiny, little bit better. Yeah, but they're all. I mean, not, not to say that if the, uh, uh, that this is a bad thing, but they're all sort of attacking midfielder, wide players. Willock certainly an uh, attacking midfielder. Saka, a winger. Smith Rowe could potentially become a. I suppose if you looked at him and thought, who could he be most like in the squad? Well, he's not in the squad anymore, but Aaron Ramsey is the name that, that springs to yeah. mind right there. Reese Nelson, we saw what he could do at, at Hoffenheim. Um, d- defenders, there don't appear to be too many of those coming through. Um, but, you know, the, the, there are ways of integrating those players into the squad. Um, but... Yeah, but is it is it as part of a strategy or that's, is it as part of putting a plaster on a on a wooden leg? That, that's, you know, that's that's that, the question. Yeah, that is the question. And you know, again, we could talk again, Philippe, at the start of August, and things could be very different, and we could be very impressed by the way that this summer has gone. Um, but you know, I, I I find it hard not to look at the decisions and the people making the decisions and and wonder about the motivation behind those decisions. I mean, maybe it's a case of just this is the reality. They've been told you only have this much money to spend unless you sell or you get more uh, free up more wages. And we all know the obvious ways in in which they can do that. So yeah. how do you how do you operate? You have to mm. fill a squad, and if you don't have any money to do it, the only way you can do it is by looking internally. I just worry a little that, that the expectations might be raised too high and that ultimately not enough of these players are, are either good enough uh, or, or ready yet to, yeah. to make the step up. And, and, you know, a player can be good enough, but if he's put in at the wrong time, you know, he, he might... Uh, you can he, kill him. You can kill him. Exactly. That was the word I was going to use. Um, so what a strong word, but it is. But I mean, in in terms of his career, not not actually uh, his life. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the targets, but just in yeah. terms of uh, just a very quick question: What is the priority uh, in terms of uh, bringing somebody in? Where is the big priority there for you? Um. I would say probably every line bar the keeper, even though, <laughs> uh, and uh, and the front two if we can hold on to them. So uh, we're talking yes. Um, I mean, f- full back. I think we we have to think as well positively and 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 think that Rob Holding and and Hector Bellerin will be back, and if they come back to the level they were at when they were injured, uh, we're going to have two very decent players who are you know I, mm. I have no problems with whatsoever. Then you look around, you you know that Laurent Gossini doesn't have another full season in him. That's That seems to be, uh, everybody agrees on that. Um, we won't mention Scordan uh, uh, Mustafi, so, which leaves us certainly short of um, a central defender or two. Mm. 
Um, then you move in, in, in midfield and there is the, the Jaka question. <laughs> <laughs> then there is the Ramsey hole, the yeah. Ramsey shaped hole. Then there's the Ozil question mark, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Ozil abyss. So we are talking actually to add quite a few players. And perhaps uh, I would also say, I would add to that one thing. I think we miss dribblers. That's extraordinary to say such a thing. No, it's not. It's not absolutely not extraordinary. I think it's uh, it's spot on. We absolutely miss players who can carry the ball rather than pass and it Alex, in a horseshoe. Alex is the only one, uh, Alexi Wilby is the only one who, who tries that from time to time and yeah. who is still not quite the finished article. But, you know, we compare to all the teams which have got, you know, this capacity of, of who have these players capable to uh, just go 1v1 or 1v2 and, 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 and to dribble. Mm. We don't have those. And um, we used to have Alexander Leb, remember him? The, the man who dribbled in yes. circles. Yes. Okay, never mind. But, but we did, you know, um, we, we always but, had players who could carry the ball. I mean, even Jack Wilshire could carry the ball through midfield, Thomas Rosicki, Alexis Sanchez. People went crazy because he lost the ball a lot, which he did, but he Oxlade lost the ball. Oxley chamberlain yeah, to, to a lesser extent. But, you know... I, we, yeah. we don't have so, too many players who play it safe for me at the yeah, moment. And exactly. Not so, enough risk takers. Yes. and But risk takers, so what are you going to do? You're going to t- take a gamble on a young uh, attacking player who's caught your eye? Or if you go for one who is an established risk taker, it's going to cost you quite a lot of money. I suppose Carrasco, in a way, is one of those risk takers, even though he was deployed as a, as a wing back by, by Martinez with the Belgian team, he's first and foremost. As we remember, because I think, you know, you remember that game against Monaco in the Champions League, mm-hmm. uh, he's a very quick, fast, uh, aggressive uh, attacker. Um, but he's also somebody who um, I don't think is. I don't. I don't think he will get much better than he is now, and I'm not sure that he's what you call top top quality. To quote an, an old manager of ours, yeah, um, is that not the reality of our situation though? And that th- these are the kind of players we're we're going to have to settle for, if you like, because of yeah. our status. Possibly. Uh, on the other hand, I see other clubs sometimes managing to uh, attract players of truly great promise and, and great talent for sums which seem less than what we have to spend to get inferior quality. I mean, yeah. maybe it's just, you know, so it can be done. Yeah. Uh, look at the way, you know, for example, I mean, some of the, uh, look at the way Lille, for example, do their business. Look at the money they paid for players like uh, like Nicolas Pepe, whom everybody's raving about, rightly so. Yeah. Look at the money they paid for him. They hardly paid anything. It's almost as uh, if they have a a technical director and a head of recruitment. It's almost as if they had a really good technical yeah. director. Absolutely. And they do. Yeah. That's so. And that's that's one of the main things. Maybe we should start a, another a rumor going that, but, you know, he's not going to leave the club. So there you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, so to go back to get back to you, um, I think pretty much every single sector of the um, of, of the team bar the keeper, because I think we should trust Bent Leno. Um, yeah. and, and up front, if we can keep hold of Obama Young and, and Lacazette, mm. you know, which is, you know, front two of, of some distinction, really. Yeah. But between the two, there's an awful lot. And, and you still don't get the feeling that um, Emery does, I mean, 
I know that there are no starting 11s these days anymore, but still, you should have an idea of what you want to do. And the, the team has got to have a certain shape. Yeah. And we're still a bit shapeless and we're sort of shape shifting from one game to the next is, because of injuries sometimes. Yeah. It's true. Is, is there mitigation in the fact that this is his first or was his first yes. season in England? There were injuries. He inherited a squad that I think it's fair to say was not correctly balanced. He didn't no. get any backing in, in January, even if he was perhaps um, in some ways culpable for the the Dennis Suarez loan deal. Um, but next season, not so much the gloves are off, but he has to implement or put his stamp on this squad, both in terms of how it's made up and also yeah. the way that it plays. Yeah. And, well, what can we say about that? Absolutely zilch at the moment. Yeah, yeah. fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Okay, let me let me just finish up because I know I've, I've taken up a, a fair chunk of your time, but I do want to talk a little bit about some of the players uh, yeah. that we have been linked with. And in particular, there have been some, some young players in France who... Uh, who, who seem exciting and interesting kind of signings for a club like us who who do need to maybe be a bit more, um, as Raoul said, they need to well, outsmart the market, but just maybe just take a, a slightly left-of-centre approach mm -hmm. to the players that we're bringing in. Before we get on to those, um, one player who has been linked, um, it, it's not quite in the headlines um, uh, as much as you might expect, but Adrian Rabiot is available on a free transfer from PSG. He's yeah. a player that Emery knows. He's a player that we have had contact with in the past. Um, because he's free, uh, that makes him, uh, saying it again, cost-effective. Um, <laughs> you know, if we want to bring him in, obviously you would pay him a, a signing-on fee, which is commensurate with a Bosman and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, is he a realistic target for Arsenal, um, given we don't have Champions League football? And should he be a target for Arsenal? I think that uh, he might be out of our reach and that he would be looking at a Champions League club, especially given that, well, his entourage made loads of noises uh, about an interest of uh, Barcelona. Um, and this interest might have been real, might have not been real. And his entourage has a lot to say for Rabio and to Rabio. So I don't think, I think he would see that as stepping down one level. Um, I am not absolutely sure he's got the kind of character that people would want for the club. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just me speaking here. Um, I think that, uh, you know, his attitude has been questionable at times, um, both in his relationship with the club and the way that he prepares for the games. And also he's a, he's a player who can on his day look absolutely astonishingly good that he can do is mm. very classy he can also completely disappear he's not somebody who is going to bring a lot of iron to a metal deficient midfield um, and he's got to take a very big it's you know he's coming into the um, the best years of his his career he's, he's just always oh, turned 24 just a couple of months ago yeah so his next contract is really super important for him so I, I do think that I can understand why people would link him to us um, because he's a bit flaky <laughs> <laughs> a 
I've heard that. It would be perfect for Arsenal. Birds, you know, birds what do you mean by that? <laughs> and um, with the new Arsenal, that is. Yeah. And um, yeah, it might he might be a bit out of our of our reach. But okay. you don't want to have a Mesut Ozil mark too, do you, do you? That is very true. I don't think anybody has got the the energy uh, for that. Tell me a little bit uh, a little about William Saliba, who's an 18 year old central defender. Mm-hmm. Again, somebody we're linked very heavily with. Um, played a lot and, for Saint Etienne this season, yeah. and they had a very good they had a very good season in Liga. Uh, absolutely, and that's the kind of links that I'm delighted with myself. Um, he's also um, you know somebody who's been uh, he's been playing in every single um, uh, underage French team, and every time you know he was. Uh, he was 15, he was playing for the under-17, he was uh, 16, he was playing for the under-18. So he's always been like one year ahead of everybody else. And he's physically very, very imposing. I mean, he's six foot four, something like that. Um, I mean, one meter 93. Yeah. And um, he is um, he's technically good. Um, he's somebody who has um, good quality when it, when it comes to um, take the ball out of defense. Um, he's quite brave. Um, and I'm, I'm delighted to, to see a name like this one. Uh, that's, I think it's quite an imaginative uh, choice, but I don't think for one second that it would be to join the first team and to play every game. And, um, I'm, you know, there are in France people say, well, maybe they could buy him and then loan him back. <sighs> What's yeah, I know. You know. I know. We do I know. need, we do need. So, which is why I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to hear us linked with, with him. Um, but on the other hand, I'm thinking, well, is he really a solution? Or maybe, you know, Emery has seen something in him which makes him believe that he can make the jump from Liga to Premier League. And there's a big, that's a big jump to make. Well, he brought in a player last season who had to make the jump from Ligue 2 to, that's correct. Uh, to Premier League. So That's correct. Mm. And hasn't done too badly, by the way. No, not too badly. Not quite as brilliantly as everybody has said, but in the circumstances, I think I think pretty well. Um, we, we talked about dribblers and we talked about players who can carry the ball. And, you know, uh, we brought in Matteo Genduzzi from Lorient uh, last summer. And it looks like mm-hmm. we could go back to Lorient for, for one Again. of their attacking players, for uh, Alexis Claude Maurice. What, what's, what sort of a player is he and... and um, would he make sense in in terms of how this squad might might be rebuilt? I think what would make sense that he he's somebody who is fundamentally a goal scoring midfielder. Yeah, and we don't have many of those. Actually, do we have one? We had one. He's gone. Mm. Um, and um, is uh, yeah. I mean, he's also one of those players who's been on the radar for quite a while and has has been a regular. With with France's under 18s and 19s and 20s teams, and um, he's yes, but again, we're talking about somebody who is extremely young and and uh, you know, well he's 21, uh, well he's just turned 21, yeah, just literally like a few days ago, and um, again I, I don't think he's the kind of player who would necessarily. Jump into the first um, first eleven. Um, mm. uh, so again, not a bad idea at all. But this is not perhaps what we're looking at. I think Saliba would be um, closer to the first eleven uh, than uh, than Maurice would be. Is there anybody whose name you've spotted doing the rounds this summer who you really yeah. you really think yes 
this is this is somebody we should definitely be after. Um, that we've been linked with so far, absolutely nobody. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, no, that's fine. That's that's fine. It's an honest answer to an honest question, well, Philippe. And what, absolutely. What? I'm not saying that my nose was exactly, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, f- you know, try smelling the right wind, so to speak. What did sure. I say? Uh, uh, that I was particularly following it very closely because, as you said, I've been in- involved in other things in the last few weeks and months. But uh, I have not heard anything um, that made my ears prick up and thinking, ooh, gosh, that could be exciting. No. Right. I can think of quite a few players that I wouldn't mind bringing to the club, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan Fraser is not getting your juices flowing. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but again, you know, even when... Um, I mean, it's not that long ago, even though they might not... They, you know, we brought Obama Young not that long ago. Yeah, you know, Bama Young was a, a top player in his league. We brought Alexander Lacazette, was a top player in his league. We brought Mesut Ozil, was a world champion. We brought Alexis Sanchez, not exactly a poor player. And and the names that we are mentioning now are a long, long way away from those, aren't they? They sure are. They sure are. I don't know if that you know if if you can make judgments or assessments of a football club based on the players that they're being linked with. But I do think it obviously ties into to the performance and the status and the direction in which a football club is going. Um, and I think we all, as much as possible, try to see the bright side of of signing young players and we could bring in this young kid with potential and they can grow and they become valuable assets and we can do what, you know, maybe what Liverpool did and sell a player we bought for very little for a huge amount and reinvest that back in the squad. But uh, it's sort of like leaving your house to drive to work and expecting every single set of traffic lights to be green. there are moments where it can work, and I'm thinking in the case of um, uh, William Saliba, for example, I'm thinking of the case of another French player who came to an, an English club, which is um, uh, Issa Diop at West Ham. And I think Issa Diop has been one of the best centre-backs in the division last season. Honestly, I think he's absolutely wonderful. And I wouldn't mind if we bought him. Uh, but I don't think they're going to sell him. And they, it, it was a little bit the same kind of thing. A very promising player uh, had gone through the um, under-18s, under-19s, and so forth. And revealed himself within, you know, in no time at all um, that he had the physical and mental capacities to deal with with this crazy Premier League. So it might be that we strike lucky. But again, um, there is a, a lack. I mean, you you need a little bit of, I don't know, um, luster and um, uh, excitement. Yes. And those names don't really excite me very much. No, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's it's fairly redundant, perhaps, to say that the signings put bombs on seats. You know, a, 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 um, you know, it's not the only way to build your team. Obviously, there are ways in which you can do it, and it can be mm. progressive and it can be incremental. But when you're a football club that is in a period of stagnation, perhaps decline, mm. you need something or very often need something which can just change the mood because people read into it more than, well, this is more than just a good player that we've signed. It is a show of ambition. It is a, 
Yeah, a, it's, it's Dennis. It's Dennis after the exactly. You know, what happened. It shows yeah. you that this is the direction in which we want to go. And uh, I don't know that we're going to get that this summer. But look, we'll see where we are in two months' time before the start of the new Premier League season. Maybe the garden, as it looks right now, is a bit overgrown and full of weeds. Maybe it will be rosy, Philippe. Maybe it will. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for this. Thank think- you, Andrew. The inimitable Philippe Auclair. Thank you very much indeed to him. You know where to follow him. He is on Twitter at Philippe Auclair, at Philippe Auclair. And if you want to read the article that we mention in that conversation about all that's going on at FIFA and the uh, Confederation of African Football, you can find the link to it in the show notes. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcasting app, it should be there. Just click in and you can click on the, the link to the article or you can visit the uh, the podcast episode page on arsblog.com and you'll find a link to the article in there. There too. So I reckon that just about does it for this week. Uh, there is probably stuff to talk about more in terms of the fixtures, but I think James and I can cover a bit of that on Monday in the Arsecast Extra. And whatever happens over the weekend in terms of transfer news, speculation, rumors, gossip, tittle-tattle, and all the rest, uh, we can go through that too. And who knows? Who knows what might happen? Maybe we might sign someone. Maybe we might sell someone. Maybe... Something will happen. My advice to all of you listening to this, and I thank you very much indeed for being here, as always, is don't hold your breath. But some stuff will happen at some point, and when it does, we will talk about it on the podcast and on the blog. Again, thank you very much indeed for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have yourselves a great weekend. Until the next one, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, but mostly gentlemen, of course, welcome to the FIFA Annual Congress. I am the democratically elected dictator extreme for all time of FIFA here to bring you through this wonderful weekend of events. Many people over the years have said that FIFA is a corrupt organization through which many people have become obscenely wealthy at the expense of the game of football itself. We say very clearly, okay, you got us, but what are you going to do about it? I've got a secret lair and a gold concord. You'll never catch me. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.